vivo qualitative data analysis software empowers researchers around the world to discover rich insights within their qualitative data. This podcast gives you unique insights into the methods, the processes, and the passions of researchers. Welcome to the InVivo podcast, Between the Data. I'm Stacy Penna, the InVivo Community Director, and today's podcast is with Lindsay Geeson, Senior Study Director at Westat with more than 12 years of experience in program evaluation and policy research. So welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. So first off, I just wanted to ask, what type of research do you conduct at Westat? Sure. So the topic areas I'm currently focused on are child nutrition, food security, and also workforce development and job training programs. So I'm primarily a qualitative researcher, though I also do manage survey operations at Westat. So for today, we're going to focus on a paper you wrote, Structuring a Team-Based Approach to Coding Qualitative Data, published in 2020 by the SAGE International Journal of Qualitative Methods. Can you describe the study and the data that you collected? Yeah, so this was for a study we conducted on behalf of the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food and Nutrition Service. And our primary research objective was to document how school districts and state agencies collect data on the National School Meal Program. So it's the National School Lunch Program and School Breakfast Programs. So from February through May in 2018, we conducted 154 in-person interviews across four different states, and we talked with staff at the state agencies, at the school districts, and also school food managers, which is usually a cafeteria manager. And the challenge we faced, though, is that once data collection ended in May 2018, our team had to finish coding all 154 interview transcripts within six weeks. Yeah, that does sound challenging. (laughs) That's a lot of data to go through in six weeks. So what I found really interesting in the article is that you discussed three lessons you learned on how to manage a team-based coding effort. So can you describe the three lessons, and then we'll go more in-depth for each one? Sure. The three lessons that really stood out to us after doing this was that you really need to establish a strong and very supportive management structure and build in layers of support for your team. It also highlighted the importance of building skills gradually and not trying to teach your team everything at once. And the third lesson that we learned is just the importance of having very detailed reference materials to guide your team as they work. So with the first lesson, establishing a strong and supportive management structure, you talked about creating four roles for the team members to help keep it organized. And so, I, you know, it seemed to me like so everyone knew what they were doing, too, with the different roles. So can you describe the roles and how people interacted with each other? Sure. So there was a hierarchy of sorts. And first, we have our coders. And so the coders were the more junior staff who had been the support staff on the site visits that we did. So they knew the data, they knew the interviews and the respondents, and each of the four coders was assigned to one of the four states that we visited. So they were responsible for coding all of the transcripts from their assigned state. 
overseeing the coders were our senior reviewers. And so the senior reviewers were the staff who had actually led the site visits. These were also the staff that managed the whole study. So each reviewer was paired with a coder and was responsible for reviewing their work. So overseeing the senior reviewers was the lead analyst, and this was the role that I served, and I also served as the senior reviewer. And as the lead analyst, I sort of shepherded the whole coding and analysis process. I created the reference materials, led the training, built the NVivo database, led check-in meetings with the team. And to help me, but the rest of the team as well, we also brought in a senior qualitative methodologist to work with us. And this person had no prior involvement with our study, but they were engaged to just provide objective feedback and guidance on our coding process, our analysis approach, and, you know, help lead the training and provide support to the team throughout the whole process. So, you know, this hierarchy created a lot of support for staff. You know, everybody had a person that they could go to. So the coders first went to their senior reviewers with questions and then to me. Likewise, the senior reviewers could go to me or the methodologist, and I had the methodologist. So we each had sort of our own support person, which was just so helpful because it gives you someone to check your work and also someone to bounce ideas around with and questions, and it just created a really nice structure for us. Yeah, that's great. And it seemed to me like from reading, it was like around, you sort of already said it, you said you had somebody to go to to ask yeah. questions and to, it's almost like you had your own form of, well, member checking in a way, like in a different, maybe a little differently, but member checking your process and how you were working yeah, together. I, I think it, and it also created just a very collaborative environment. You know, everybody was in constant communication, the mm -hmm. coders with their reviewers and with me and the senior reviewers with their coders mm -hmm. and with our methodologist and with me. And so we all just were in constant communication. And so it really just allowed us to pick up on problems early on, places where we needed to refine our process or our coding scheme. So it just, it created a lot of open lines of communication mm -hmm. and a lot of oversight too, mm -hmm. to make sure the quality of the work was good. And so to manage the teams, you found regular communication was key and instituted two types of meetings. So you had a training meeting and a check-in meeting. So how are these meetings facilitated and why were they helpful to you and the team? So we had four different kinds of transcripts that we were going to code. And we held a training meeting each time we completed coding for one transcript and were ready to move to another. So, you know, for example, when we finished coding all of the school transcripts, we had a training before the team started coding the school district interviews. So the first training was an all-day in-person training, which I can talk a bit about later. But after that, the trainings were held remotely, and it only lasted an hour or two. So I would really just share my screen and walk people through the flow of how the transcript would go, which codes we expected to apply to the data. We would do a, a mini virtual practice session and then just talk about timeline and questions and things. And so after each training, we 
would give the coders and the senior reviewers a little bit of homework. So we had them pick one of their assigned transcripts and code it, and then talk through any questions that came up as they were working through that with their senior reviewer. Then as a team, we would reunite by conference call a couple days later to talk about how that practice run went. And, you know, it just, it brought up places where the coders weren't sure which code to apply to certain pieces of text. And it, we would take that feedback and refine the coding scheme during that call if we needed to. And this is a lot of communication time that we've built in, but it really revealed when people understood what they were supposed to do and when they didn't. And it also revealed where the coding scheme just didn't work. You know, if all four coders got tripped up by the same code, that would signal that there was something that we needed to revise. So we would get their suggestions and make a change. And the check-in meetings that we had also gave us a chance to look at our timeline and assess whether our deadlines were realistic. So if we'd set a deadline for the school district transcripts to finish coding all of them, and we assumed it would take our coders 20 minutes to code each transcript, but the practice run took them closer to an hour, then we knew we'd need to move the deadline back. So it just, it gave us sort of a reality check on that, which was helpful. Yeah, that's interesting, especially with such a quick timeline for that much work. So, yeah. so for the second lesson, you know, you talked about building skills gradually, and you've talked a little bit about the training, but can you describe the sequence of training? So you had practice coding during the six weeks of the interview coding process. So how did that go, and what were key things you found were helpful? Sure. So just to sort of summarize the process I mentioned, we would train our team on each type of transcript, then give them a couple days to practice, and then meet as a team to make any adjustments and answer questions. But once everyone felt they'd wrapped their heads around what was needed, then they would go on to code the rest of their transcripts. So that was sort of the cycle for each type of transcript that we had to code. So it was train, then practice, then code. And people were in touch throughout, you know, whenever questions arose or outlier cases emerged that they didn't know what to do with. But I guess the main thing that's important to convey about the train practice code sequence is that it came about because we broke the coding process into pieces. So first we had the team code the transcripts from our interviews with school staff because those were both the shortest and the simplest. So we wanted to start them with the easiest ones. And it, once that was done, we moved to the school district transcripts and the state level interviews. And each type of interview captured a different part of the story about school meal programs. And so different codes were going to apply to each transcript. So when the other project leaders and I were talking early on about how on earth we were going to teach our team about which of the codes they needed to apply to each transcript. You know, we had, I think, 150 codes, somewhere between 150 and 200 codes, and that's just a lot to teach people. And we realized it was just absurd to try to teach our team all of that at once. So we started small. We focused 
on the school interviews, the shortest and the simplest, like I mentioned, and taught them only the codes that applied to the school transcripts. And then we did the same with the school district and the state level ones. So we broke it up into segments to teach a manageable amount of new information each time. And because I know I know you're using Invivo to help with the coding. So not only did you have to teach them the codes and what to look for, but you also had to teach them the software, right? Or did everyone know Invivo? It was a mixed group. Some had experience and some did not. So that initial training was a day-long training because we did want to teach everybody how to use the software so that they were all starting from sort of an equal playing field. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, did it help using a tool like Invivo to be able to organize or what did you guys feel as a team? I mean, I use Invivo for all of my projects, so I find it invaluable in helping me organize my data and just being able to query it in different ways and manipulate the data in different ways. I find it invaluable. And I think the team picked it up really quickly, which was good. Mm. And not only were we training the coders on Invivo, but we were training the senior reviewers as well. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that everybody had a shared understanding of how to use it and how to find what they needed. We'll take a short break from the podcast. You can learn more about the coding approach Lindsay and her team use by registering for her April 15th webinar on lessons in managing and supporting a team of qualitative coders by visiting the Invivo website at www.qsrinternational.com slash Invivo and go to resources and click on live webinars. So I know you had a, the, so this team and you're, you talked about showing your screen. Were you all in the same location or were you dispersed? For the initial all-day training, we were all in a room together. And for the subsequent training and check-in meetings, we met virtually. Mm-hmm. And, and that worked fine because, like, everyone's doing that right now. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that first all-day training is so important to do in person, especially because we were teaching them how to use software. Mm-hmm. But a good part of our training was manual before we even taught them how to use the software. You know, teaching them to use Envivo, you're teaching them how to code. But mm-hmm. you first need to teach your team why you're coding what you are and when to code and when not to. You know, there's a lot of noise in qualitative data and you need to teach them just conceptually how to sift through the noise to find what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So we did some exercises on paper, actually, and just having them circle and highlight and write notes about which codes they thought would apply mm-hmm. to a, a practice transcript and it, just to teach them the process in general so teaching them in vivo didn't even come till the end of the day, but mm-hmm. it was helpful just to do that all in person. Yep. Makes sense. That's funny. I do yeah. the same thing when I teach people new to QSR, what in vivo does. I actually do yeah. start with paper and highlighters and, you know, mm-hmm. think about yeah. how you would read through something when you're in college, you know, like, <laughs> and yeah. like things, right? So I, I, I do the same thing. I think it's funny. And then your third lesson, developing detailed reference materials to guide the coding team. 
So what were the reference materials you developed and why were they critical to helping the team with the coding? So I made a few different things. So first, obviously, we had a code book for our database, and it listed all of the codes, which transcript each code would apply to. In some cases, which specific interview question in our interview guide a code would apply to. And, you know, any notes that we had about when or when not to apply a code. And uh, from there, I took the blank interview guides that we had used during our site visits. I opened them in Microsoft Word, and I used the comment feature in there to note which codes we expected to apply to each part of a transcript. And then I took one of the actual transcripts. I just picked one at random. and. Uh, did sort of the same thing. I used the comment feature in Word to indicate which codes would apply to each segment of actual text. And it, this last one was just really important because it showed the coders that, you know, like we were talking about, you don't need to code everything. You know, you've got to sift through it sometimes to find what you're looking for. It also showed them when to double code or even triple code you know, applying more than one code to a piece of text. It also just showed them that an interview respondent may raise the same issue multiple times throughout a discussion, and so a code can be applied more than once in a transcript. And, you know, especially for the coders that hadn't done this type of work before, I think all of those pieces of information were just really important to them. Mm -hmm. And... So overall, how did the team-based approach help or challenge your coding to get this project done? It far exceeded my expectations, honestly. I'd worked on coding teams before in various roles, but none worked this smoothly. Oftentimes on other teams, I would get my instructions and the list of codes and then be left to my own devices. Mm -hmm. So I'd rarely had an outlet to share what I was seeing with more senior folks or talk through changes to the coding scheme that might work better. So the best part about this process for this study is just how much everyone became invested in what they were doing. And it, so during the training and check-in meetings, we always started by asking the coders just to share what they were seeing in the data, you know, any trends they were starting to pick up on and also any outliers. And, you know, we would also talk about any challenges people encountered, but eventually they started offering suggestions to their peers and helping each other troubleshoot any issues. And it, it was just really collaborative and just a lot of open lines of communication. And it, as one of the senior staff on the study who would eventually be helping lead some of the analysis and the writing and reporting later on, it was just really important to be able to hear what the coders were seeing because they were sort of on the front lines in a way. And it really, what they shared with us during those meetings really shaped how we outlined our final report and shaped how we approached the analysis. Oh, that's great. It sounds like it was like fun. Like you had enjoyed yeah. working with each other and yeah, because it was so collaborative, it actually probably ended up making the study and the project better in the long run. It did. Yeah. It did. Yeah. And has your study been published or been 
shared with people or your stakeholder? Like, how do you, now I'm just curious, like, so if you do that type of study, who do you present it to at the end? So the client that sponsored the study was USDA's Food Nutrition Service. So our final report goes to them and then they publish it on their website. Got it. So is it there now? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, cool. I did not look at it, but I'll go find it. Yeah. <laughs> Being a former teacher, and <laughs> it's always yeah. interesting. So I think one reason you wrote this is you did find a gap in the literature around this. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So, you know, there's a lot of research out there on qualitative methods, and there's a lot of research out there on managing teams in different fields, but there was very little blending the two about how do you manage a qualitative coding team. And actually the qualitative methodologist we worked with on this study pointed out that there's really no detailed guidance out there on how to lead a coding team. And there's some literature that's more high level, but nothing we saw was this granular describing the types of meetings, the frequency of meetings, the training process and components. So she was the one who encouraged us to write about this, to Mm -hmm. fill that gap. Great. It's a good paper. It's very clear, you know, the processes. So encourage people to go find it at the Sage International Journal of Qualitative Research. And so lastly, I just wanted to ask, what one piece of advice would you give someone trying a team-based approach to coding? I would suggest that you have everyone participate equally, whether someone is a senior project director or the most novice coder, they should all be at the trainings. They should all practice coding and they should all be in the check-in meetings. What the coders are seeing in the data, the senior staff should hear about because they'll probably be working on the analysis and reporting out on the findings. And what the senior staff know about the goals and objectives of a project, the coders need to hear so that they understand why you're asking them to code something in a specific way. So, you know, you've got to connect the people to connect the dots. And I also feel like it's important to acknowledge that this process did not feel natural to me at the start. I am... very deadline-driven, and looking at a six-week timeline and knowing we had over 150 transcripts to code, I just, I was so panicked that we wouldn't finish on time. So the thought of building in time for all of these meetings and trainings felt like in doing that, we were placing additional stress on that already short timeline. But Instead, when we got to the end, I really felt like the process we implemented had facilitated a timely completion rather than hindered it. You know, breaking the training and the coding into manageable pieces and giving people, you know, endless opportunities to ask questions and continuously revising the coding scheme to better fit the data through our team meetings. It just made the whole process go really smoothly. And it Best of all, it made our analysis and reporting process so much better because the quality of the coding was strong. I won't pretend that this is something that just is easy to weave into a timeline, but I think it does ultimately make the process go smoothly, the quality of work better, and it's absolutely possible to do on short timelines. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. 
So I'd like to thank you for joining us for the podcast Between the Data. I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot and a really good practical too, uh, ways to work as a research team and with coding. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for Between the Data. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more about InVivo podcasts and community events, please visit go.invivobyqsr.com slash community or email me, Stacy Penna, at s.penna, P-E-N-N-A, at qsrinternational.com.